Man, it is, it is good to be back. We appreciate you coming out this morning. Appreciate you joining us online. If you're still at home, uh, you're still part of our church family, even if you're not physically present. Uh, just want to thank everyone for their sensitivity through this, this whole season and uh, trying to figure out. And none of us really know what to do. Uh, at the end of the day, we all have an idea, but you know, a couple years, I think we'll be able to look back and say, oh, this is what we should have done or how we should have handled it. Um, we we might have been crazy. We might have been smart. I don't know. Uh, but at the end of the day, it, it doesn't really matter. What matters is us coming to uh, to the scripture and seeing what God has for us. So that's why we're here this morning, and we're gonna dive right into it. Um, uh, it was it's just nice to preach to people, like not just a, a, a video camera, which is you know which is good. But um, you might have seen me on a TV show lately called Church uh, on Sunday mornings. But it, it's just nice to be here. And uh, we've, we've started this series called I Will, and I Will is built around this concept in the Psalms where the psalmists often go through a, an emotional journey, and then as they reflect on who God is and they realize and, and trust themselves to the promises that God has made them, they make statements that define what will be true of them going forward. So last week we looked at I Will Not Fear. Uh, this morning we're going to look at one called I Will Be Thankful. And, and so it's with that in mind that we turn our attention to the Psalms, where I've really, in studying them more in depth this, this go-around, I've really become, come to a place where I appreciate the emotional freedom that the Psalms bring out. And as a person who grew up uh, trying to not deal with emotions a lot, and just trying to, to look at, all right, well, here I am, and here's where I should be, and we'll just bypass the emotion and just go through the motions, um, that, that was a lot of my life, I've realized that emotional honesty and the psalms put this on the forefront is a beautiful thing and a necessary thing for us to really be to be healthy in life and if anybody gets this right it really should be the church we should be the group of people that doesn't pretend like everything's together who doesn't wear a mask so to speak um, on what's really going on in our hearts we should be the people that have the least amount of baggage because we regularly and repeatedly drop the bags off at the feet of our god that should be true of us. And so, so we're going to look at the Psalms to be able to get to that place. And here's, here's what I absolutely love about the Psalms. I don't have a clue what you're experiencing today. I don't know what your, your difficulties are or what your issues are or what your highs or what your lows are. But I know this, there's a Psalm that connects with what you're experiencing. If you read a Psalm, you've been there. You've had it happen in your life. You've you felt the same way about something that happened similarly in your life. Um, you've been there before. The Psalms, as we talked about last week, a lot of the Bible speaks to us. The Psalms speak for us. And it's modeling what that emotional honesty to God looks like. Any human from any ethnicity, from any era, can relate to the Psalms. Because they relate to us and our, our experience in life. Lawrence R Richards, a theologian, he says it this way. In every experience of our own, no matter how deep the pain or how great the frustration or how exhilarating the joy, we can find psalms which echo our inmost being, psalms which God uses to bring comfort. Now that's a reality, and I hope in your life's journey that you find time to connect emotionally with what the psalms are doing and how they teach us to have that journey where we go through what we go through. We don't hide it, but we bring it before God and we let Him speak to us there. We've all been where the Psalms are. I was thinking about that, and this morning we're going to look at a Psalm where David is dealing with a false accusation. He's not dealing with physical attacks, 
But when he speaks about them, they sound very physical because that's how they feel. So he represents this pain that he feels by talking about it as if someone's literally trying to attack him. But what he's actually dealing with is false accusations. Have you ever had a false accusation? Somebody misunderstand you, somebody get you wrong? It's not an easy experience to just move past, especially when it comes from somebody in power over you or somebody close to you or somebody that you respect. When they get you wrong, it's a big deal. I remember my senior year in high school, I was sitting in the back of the science classroom myself and, and two other friends and, and we were looking there's a bunch of locked drawers with like bunsen burners and different things inside and uh, we just made a joke about picking the lock to open it up and see what was in there well so the next day i happened to be absent from school and the following day i go back and uh and my friends i get in the science class and they're like you're not going to believe what happened wh- what happened yesterday i'm like what are you talking about he said we were interrogated by the police it turns out that two nights ago A local restaurant was broken into and robbed, and the science teacher overheard us picking locks and assumed that we would be likely suspects. So he called the police. And I'm going, are you kidding me? I've, like, never even spoken without raising my hand in school, and I'm at the top of your suspects? Like, you're looking for me? Like, this is ridiculous. And I remember, like, it was honestly, it it was comical that we were even considered for the crime. But, but what about when it's not comical? What about when your spouse misunderstands why you do something and they're mad at you? Or your kids, or your boss, or, or a friend? How do, you escape, how do you escape the emotional consequences of a false accusation? Because you know what it feels like? It feels like when a newspaper prints an article and they got something wrong, and everybody read it. And then they realize it's wrong, and on the back page, two days later, they print a retraction article that nobody ever reads. That's what it feels like. That's what your life is like. And, and you can't really get everybody together. And maybe they were really persuasive in what they said, and, and, and it swayed people, and it hurts. Uh, theologian Peter Craig, he, he talks about this, and he says, this is, this is a curious feature of the experience of human living that the public accusation of the sins or crimes which we have committed is easier to bear, both emotionally and spiritually, than false accusations concerning crimes of which we are innocent. He said this, this is a, a, a curious experience, that if you think about it, at least it is true in my own life, that the things that people have said about me that have been true are easier for me to deal with than the things that they said that have been false. For some reason, those sting worse it hurts more to have somebody say something false about us than it does to, than it does when they say something true and so what do you do with that and what, what what do we do i think i think we can look at david i think we can look at his response to their attack upon his character and and i think it will speak to to solve an age-old problem you remember as a kid you would you would have a, a friend or m- maybe a, a kid at school a bully say something about you and you go to your mom or you go to the teacher and you say uh, they said this and, and 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 it hurt me and your parent or the teacher you know what they'd say back to you every time do you remember this sticks and stones they'll break your bones but words will never hurt you and the psalms say that's not true words do hurt and they do create a pain that leaves a scar and, and lasts and so what do we do um, David's going to model what he did. I think it's what we should do. And, and I think it's ultimately going to help us fall more deeply in love with God. So Psalm chapter 7, uh, the whole chapter is great. We're going to focus on the first half. 
I come to you for, for protection, O oh Lord my God. Save me from my persecutors. Rescue me. If you don't, they will maul me like a lion, tearing me to pieces with no one to rescue me. O oh Lord my God, if I have done wrong or am guilty of injustice, if I have betrayed a friend or plundered my enemy without cause, then let my enemies capture me. Let them trample me into the ground and drag my honor into the dust. Arise, O Lord, in anger. Stand up against the fury of my enemies. Wake up, my God, and bring justice. Judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. Gather the nations before you. Rule over them from on high. The Lord judges the nations. Declare me righteous, O Lord, for I am innocent, O Most High. Let's pray. God, we've been there. And you've heard our prayers when we were there. And they probably sounded something like we just read. Lord, I pray that as we take a little bit, little bit of a deeper look here, that we would come up with a plan and a path to walk out of these false, false accusations in a way that, that is healthy and, and depends on you. So that in the end, we can get to a place where David got, where we can be so amazed with you that we will be thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've got... Someone, uh, we just know uh, uh, Benjamin Cush. So we know that someone has put false accusations against David. Their goal is to create mistrust. Their goal is to destroy his character. Their goal is to just ruin David. And, and David's response is really what ours is, if we think about it. It's an appeal process. David's going, this can't be true. I'm going to appeal to my character. I'm going to appeal to my resume. If I've done this, then then let this happen to me, and then he's going to appeal to God. That, that, that's uh, very similar to what we do. We, we look for an appeal process. We're going, you, you know that wouldn't be true of me. You know I wouldn't do such a thing. Look at the way that I live. I wouldn't rob uh, a restaurant. I was just joking about picking a lock. I, I wouldn't do that. And what we're doing is we're making an appeal process, but the appeal is always limited to the audience. It's always limited to the people who even will listen to us at a time like that because most people have just moved on with their assessment of the situation. They've, been, they've got their opinion. They're going to stick with it. I read a fact the other day that said most people, it takes, it takes years to change their opinions about something. That's a fascinating thing to think about for another time. Uh, but it's this appeal process to try and get people to change the way that they think because the reality is if somebody gets your motives wrong, like you can't sit down and have a formal courtroom process you're not going to call in everybody and say all right all right let's get out the facts we've got this big chart this is everything that happened here's my evidence it's not going to happen you can't just like show up in a courtroom and expect this to happen what david what david finds stability in is this is that while nobody here is going to hold a court for it there is a court there is a judge the most high and he uses a phrase to say there's nothing above. There's no greater one that we could appeal to. He is the, the most high. He is the most supreme. He's exalted above all else. And I want you to just stop and think about that. Because that should produce gratitude. That you, in a very real way, when your spouse gets you wrong, you're not going to walk out the door and enter the Supreme Court in front of the justices and, and, and give your defense in front of a jury. But in a, in a real way, you, you actually go to a higher court. So when you turn to God in prayer, it's like you literally step into the courtroom. And you say, God, I'm innocent. God, I appeal to you. And the Almighty, the Most High Judge, 
stops everything else and listens. And he hears. And he wants to discern and know what is right and what is wrong so that we can feel that stability. We enter into an actual spiritual courtroom when we appeal to God. This is better better than us getting everybody together anyway. This is going to the most high. This is not me talking to somebody who has no sway and no authority. This is me instantly going to the top of the ladder to be able to solve the problem. There's a couple things I want us to see about this. Number one, when we have a judge like this, he backs a clear conscience. He stands behind a clear conscience. David, David gives these four if statements. If I've done wrong, if I'm guilty of injustice, if I've, been, if I've, if I've betrayed a friend, if I've robbed an enemy for no reasons. He's, he's stating the clarity of his conscience. And what he realizes is that while, while he's not perfect, he's innocent here, and there's a God who stands behind a clear conscience. Even if nobody else understands it. Even if everybody else gets us wrong, there's a God who gets us right. And if you think of some of those things that have pained you in life, man, it just hurts to have somebody mis- dishonor you, to have somebody bring shame upon you, and, and for it to not be founded and not, not to be real and authentic, it just it stings with us. And I've done counseling with people who for years, for decades, hang on to these false accusations that have, that have uh, infringed upon their life. And, and David, David says we need to let God restore balance to our emotions. We need to let God bring balance back to our heart. For us to have a faith that says, I understand that while everybody else might think one thing, if the Most High thinks what's correct and knows what's true and stands behind my clear conscience, then I'm okay with that. Here's the reality. We don't know the outcome. Like, we don't know if David fought for his innocence and everybody was like, oh, yeah, you're right, David. You know, we, we, we realize now that this was just sabotaged and they were just speaking falsely of you. We don't know that. What we do know is that David got to the place where he was okay if nobody else figured it out, but God did. He was okay with that. And that's a sign of maturity. And if we're going to be people that don't carry around the bags, we've got to get to a place where I can be okay if the Most High is the only one who gets me. I'm okay with that. When you have a God who, who backs a clear conscience, you also have this. You have a God who resolves the problem of unjust judges. Unjust judges. Isaiah chapter 10, if you ever want to read in the scriptures, um, they, they talk about judges who use that authority, who use that opportunity not to speak truth, but to speak bias. We live in a society that is built on impulsive judgments. We write, we write, the, we write the story based on speculation, and we'll figure out the facts a couple of days later. That's our society right now. I read an article the other day uh, about how our society is becoming a cancel culture where social media people will just, will just mob somebody uh, electronically via email, via Twitter, via, f- via Facebook to try to destroy their career, destroy their life. I read one particular article where a guy went for a bike ride and then he went home and had thousands of emails and, and social media responses calling him uh, ju- just the worst things that you could call uh, and, and assuming all these things were, were true of him that weren't. And he didn't know what to do, so he called the police, and he went down, and the police said, well, well people think that you're this person who did this crime, and, and uh, we'll, we'll run it through, and we'll put out a, a statement that says, you're not. You're not him. 
It doesn't ever work, does it? And, and so we live in this culture that is so quick to judge. And we live in a culture that gets it wrong so often that I personally am incredibly thankful we've got a God who always gets it right. There's a God who knows truth, even, even if the masses don't understand and don't get it. So David saw a value in a most high judge when everyone else misunderstood him. He speaks to it in verse 9. He says, end the evil of those who are wicked and defend the righteous. For you look deep within the mind and heart, a righteous God. There's why we need a divine solution to this. Because I can't look into your heart. You can't look into your spouse's heart. You can't look into your neighbor's heart to know why they do what they do. We fill in those blanks. We, we make assumptions before we ask questions and we figure that out. This, this is, we, we get in a lot of trouble because we do this. We, we figure out what's going on and why somebody has done what they've done instead of, instead of asking it and, and trusting what they say. We like to figure it out. We like to play detective. And then somebody plays detective towards us and it hurts and it stings because they don't know us. David says, God knows you. On the human side, there will be countless times when rights are not honored and wrongs are not punished. On the human side, judgment will go wrong again and again and again. That's the human side. But David brings his heart to a place where he's reminded of a divine side. And, and, and so when wrongs appear to win over right, it's not the end of the story. It's not. We have dear family friends of ours whose sibling was the victim of a homicide uh, about a decade ago, and nobody has been caught for the crime. And while they still cry for justice here, at the end of the day, we know that, that right wins over wrong. That there's a God who knows all. He's not too busy. He's not disinterested. No, he, he's a God who's entirely aware entirely informed and entirely compassionate. And so that brings us to where David goes. And then so then what is our actual response here? How do we respond to this? You're going to fight for your integrity. So, so you appeal. You're going to fight for your integrity. But David warns us of, of what is a temptation at that point as you begin to fight for your integrity on earth. He says this. He says in your, or he doesn't say this, sorry. This is, this is our next point. In your attempt to restore your integrity, Strive not to end up looking like those who wrecked yours in the first place. In your attempt to restore your integrity, strive not to end up looking like those who wrecked yours in the first place. In other words, if there was an evil, if there was an evil problem directed towards you, you don't get to have an evil response and not expect an evil outcome. It can't happen. Like if somebody does something wrong, you don't get to do something wrong back and then expect that to be not wrong. We do this all the time. Somebody hurts us, and so we'll hurt them back. We'll slander them back. We'll, we'll speak falsehood about them. We'll exaggerate one side of what they do. And what we're doing is we're playing into the same thing that we hated in the first place. Look, look how David says it. He says, whoever digs a hole and scoops it out as if they're creating a, 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 a trap for somebody else, whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. There's actually a, a bit of humor here where David has this moment. He's going, you, you're trying to dig a pit to destroy my character? 
your very lack of integrity causes you to slip into that pit. You slip right into it. This is, this is David saying, th- this is, you know what this is? This is a Wiley Coyote moment. Do you remember Looney Tunes? Do you remember Wiley Coyote where everything he tries to do to get the, the Roadrunner ends up hurting him in the end? Like he'll create this giant slingshot to speed up and catch up, and instead the slingshot comes back and smacks him in the face? Or he'll put a rocket on his back, and instead of going one way, he'll go the other way and smack into a rock, or uh, uh, he'll fall off a cliff. Everything he does has this sort of back effect. He's trying to do one thing, and it affects him. So that's, that's sin. When you try to do things to get vengeance, to get even, to clean up your integrity, but if you do it in an evil way, it comes back, it falls back on you, you fall back into your own pit where evil is self-defeating. It's like a boomerang effect. Like you throw it, it's coming back. What David says is we've got to bypass the boomerang. Don't even pick it up. Don't even throw it so it can't come back on you. Don't try to restore your integrity in a way that lacks integrity. No, what we do instead is we choose gratitude over vengeance. That's where David goes. I will be thankful. This is a fascinating journey to think about. Because he starts out with, there are people who want to destroy me like a lion destroys its prey. Thank you, God. What in the world happened in the middle? What happened? He realized there was a God who backed a clear conscience. He realized that there's a God who resolves the problem of unjust judges. He realizes that if he doesn't fall into evil, then evil's not going to take him over. So he can stand with integrity. And he takes a sermon, uh, he takes a journey, which each psalm is essentially its own little emotional journey. And he, he walks that path of being emotionally honest before God, and he ends up at a place of gratitude. Because the fate of his world does not rest in the hands of the unjust. The fate of his life rests in the hands of a compassionate, caring, all-knowing God. And that's where we rest. And that's where we find balance. And that's where you can have people trying to tear your life apart. And at the end of the day, you still go, God, thank you. Let's pray. God, you're incredible. Lord, I pray that these realities from the Psalms would mirror our experiences in life. Not the tragedy and the pain, but the journey, God. The openness and the realization that you alone solved this deep problem of me being hurt. God, I know everybody in this room, everybody watching at home has been hurt in some way, shape, or form because other people didn't understand them. And Father, I pray that we just find so much peace and so much security and comfort in the fact that you know us. We love you and we praise you in your son.